Episode number 22 of the Media Narrative Podcast. I'm Rob Hoschild. This is a show featuring media makers, their stories, and their process. What makes for an outlet like the Dig to really sing is for you to have, as an editor, to have enough people out there, freelancers, stringers, just friends, people, connections, the, the community, who know at least one person, just one person mm-hmm. has to know that that's a freaking article, that that has <laughs> to be written about. Chris Farone is an award-winning journalist, editor of the alternative weekly newspaper Dig Boston, and co-founder of the Boston Institute for Nonprofit Journalism, known as Binge for short. He has written features for a host of magazines from the American Prospect to Esquire, and has published four books, including 99 Nights with the 99% on the Occupy movement. A New York native, Farone has been a stalwart of the Boston media scene for many years, writing about undercovered issues in Massachusetts' political and civic life, stories that sometimes attract attention far beyond Boston. One topic you'll hear about in this conversation is how his newspaper overcame criticism after writing about racism in Red Sox Nation. As we jump in, though, I've just asked Chris Farone about the closing of the Boston Phoenix newspaper in 2013. He had worked there for five years, and after it stopped publishing, immediately headed to the Dominican Republic for some downtime, but spent that trip researching the history of alternative press and writing an article for the Columbia Journalism Review. So I get this assignment. A Columbia Journalism Review had asked me to write about the Phoenix closing. And I wanted, I did it in the way there, this, this book you mentioned, A Trumpet to Arms, it's really like the history of the alternative media, not just like since the Village Voice, but also like um, everything, you know, it, uh, it goes back to a lot, you know, Native American publications, African American press. And I went and I, there I was, Dominican Republic. I, I didn't like the beer and I didn't really feel like I drank enough as a reporter for five right. years there at the Phoenix. I just kind of read this book and wrote this thing. And, and in it, I really, um, I just got a, my soft spot was, I always kind of thought I was in the alternative media just because there was no place for me in the mainstream media. Maybe that's true. Yeah. But I really believe in this mission to, to, to cover things from the ground, to, to provide perspectives that aren't being delivered. A lot of right. things that are like used cliches now and grant applications, but mm-hmm. I, these things are real, covering things that aren't being covered. I wrote in that piece, there's, I think it's like even the last line, like, I'm going to do something. I, I want to do something about this. Like, the Phoenix meant so much to me. Like, uh, I think a lot of people don't realize that that's the place where even a lot of Globe reporters and reporters at national publications like Esquire and I could go on mm-hmm. and on, inclu- uh, and also The Nation and, and The yeah. New Yorker, like Janet Maslin and The New York Times, people learned how to write long-form journalism there. You don't, even if people are fortunate enough, like I was to go to graduate school for journalism, that's how I ended up in Boston, you don't come out of graduate school knowing how to write long-form journalism. Mm-hmm. It, that's that's not how it works. Anybody who thinks it does is, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not like one of these people saying don't go to grad school. It actually helped me a lot because I think you need to get your footing. You need to learn that basic stuff. But you're, you know, most journalism school programs are only like a year and a half. You're not going to learn. So where does that happen? Where are the incubators? Well, the Phoenix was that place. And mm-hmm. I wanted to help, you know, each one teach one, you know, pay it forward kind of thing. And uh, that's not the only reason. I, I also... After writing for a lot of national publications right after the Phoenix closed, mostly Esquire, but mm-hmm. several, I um, two things happened. The, the marathon was bombed, mm-hmm. 
And Menino, uh, Thomas Menino, the longtime mayor of Boston, said that he wasn't going to run again. Mm-hmm. This was huge. This is yeah. after 20 years. Right. And uh, but, uh, but especially the bombing, um, I called the dig. I called the former owner, Jeff Lawrence, and I said he'd been trying to get me to come back there. And I was like, no, I love my freedom, you yeah. know? I don't care if I'm still living in this room. I'm, I can go to the Dominican, Dominican I went Republic to the Dominican anytime Republic, I want. <laughs> and, and frankly, I, you know, the Columbia Journalism Review, that was another, mm-hmm. this piece was huge. Yeah. That paid for that trip and more, you know. Yeah. Not like you make a lot of freelancing, but you, could, <laughs> you can almost live. It's, you know, I was pretty active at the time. I knew a lot of editors. I met right. a lot of people cover, while on the road, and I liked it. But, you know, I said after that, I, I wanted to come back. I wanted mm-hmm. to do, I wanted to do something. Um, so he came to the dig. Long story short is that, you know, n- you know, no disrespect to anyone who was there, but after they're, they did some good work. They got some of the Phoenix uh, momentum, but things were, in, you know, difficult at the time. And I wasn't on the business side; I didn't know anything. But uh, long, about a year, year and a half after that, mm-hmm. around 2015, I, as an editor with no real budget, mm-hmm. I was just massively frustrated. And, and yeah. I don't. Know, um, that's when we started a nonprofit called the Boston Institute for Nonprofit Journalism. And that was what that was to fill that gap. But right. and I don't want to get too dwelt on that too much. But basically, we didn't just say about the dig with binge. We said um, there are other people in this situation where they can. There are a lot. Boston is doing well as a city. Mm-hmm. The media is always you know media is an interesting time for media. But there are outlets around here like uh, the Dorchester Reporter, Jamaica mm-hmm. Plain Gazette, which mm-hmm. I saw right right uh, out here. Yep, um, who I also used to write for. Um, they That's can right, sustain, yeah. like they can, they can exist and have a great paper. Really, you bring, yeah. you compare those two, especially to any like community paper in the country, mm-hmm. and you got something better, right? But, but that extra thing, and the same with the dig, that extra paying someone two thousand dollars for a story or something, yeah. Th- that is that's what's missing. So we wanted to do that at a local level, mm-hmm. you know, helping the dig. And I'm an easy gatekeeper. I was the editor, of yeah. Course. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's, so that's how we really wound up there. And, you know, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I will, it's not the credit that I'll never reject it. I'm happy that we did this, but I don't know what the hell it is in me. That was like, so I think a lot of it, I always joke is that, um, I'm from New York. Mm-hmm. I don't like now that I'm in Boston and somebody who understands the city very well, I'll say that. Um, better than a lot of people were from here, just because I there a lot of people were from a neighborhood, and that's what the neighborhood they know. As a reporter, mm-hmm. I've I know a lot of people in a lot of places, and it's 15 years now, you know. So, yeah. um, I, so I don't know. Maybe it's that I've developed this love for the city. That's definitely a part of it. Um, but also, also being from New York, I don't like answering to editors in New York who are like from Wisconsin, uh, telling yeah. me what the hell is going on in Boston. It's just crazy. So I guess maybe my maybe all of this. Um, um, work that we've done with the alternative media around here, a lot of that is kind of like me just being a big baby and not wanting to <laughs> kind of bow down to big editors. But it, it is important. And I just want to say this one thing before we move on is mm-hmm. that I always kind of say, um, and those who read the media media, like mm-hmm. the Neiman Lab, the Neiman Reports, mm-hmm. the Columbia Journalism Reviews will understand this. I always joke that, you know, if the dig had gone under any time, you know, since the Phoenix, there would be a million eulogies, not just for the dig, but it'd be like, Boston, where, mm-hmm. where along with San Francisco, the alternative media started, which, by the way, isn't true, uh-huh. because there was like African American press and all this other stuff yeah. before. But as far as like the, you know, contemporary alternative, you know, uh, Village Voice, Boston, it's true. You know, it would have been seen as this this mass funeral because San Francisco also lost the Bay Guardian, which was mm-hmm. its, you know kind of the stalwart out there. Now the voice is gone. 
But there have been all these um, kind of, uh, uh, um, not obituaries, what's the word I'm looking for, eulogies. Mm. But the truth would have been that, you know, listen, Boston's a robust market. Like we're doing now, if you just have a couple salespeople and you kind of work your butts off, you have some alternative funding methods like the nonprofit, it's doable. Yeah. So it would have been an indictment like on the city and the culture and the readership around here. But really, it not 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 that it should blame the people who a, a company goes out on, but it, it it's so much more. Right. So I guess you know it's not that I'm looking for the credit, but yeah, it took us to do it, and I wish I hope that more people do it, and there are. Yeah. And those are the people who are trying to help, and you know people like uh, you know Boston Hassle, and they do Boston mm-hmm. Compass. Uh, people like the Shoestring and Western Mass, and yeah. so that's that's what Binge is about. That's yeah. Binge is not just about helping the dig. The dig uh, uh, works with Binge a ton, and and. That's where a lot. That's where the heavy journalism comes from, no doubt. But that's what the idea is that we can all kind of help each other. We're all mm-hmm. in the same thing, and there's enough for everyone. I wanted to ask, you know, the just sort of to step back for a second, and just in in your mind, how do you define the job of the alternative media? Like, what is the mission? What do you what do you seek to do? Because you just described, uh, you know, your life is is quite taken up with all of yeah. this. These two organizations, everything else you're doing, you work how many hours a week? I mean, you know, I, I say like 80, but the truth is, and I mean this, like other than like spending time with my family, which is really not my part of the job, right. everything else is happily part of it. Mm. And I'm fortunate for that. You know, there's yeah. a lot of people who work their butts off at their job and they go home and they, they love their comics or they love their whatever. For me, it's like, this is, I'm working right now. Yeah. Do I count this in my weekly total? I don't, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Is it tax related? You know, I, yeah. You can um, curse if you need to, by the way. No, it's okay. I, I, I like to practice not, but I will, okay. uh, it'll come out. It'll be more, it, it'll mean more. But, you know, but really, um, it, it re- everything is part of it. If I go to yeah. a concert, and the truth is I really like, like we're, uh, I bought some beers on the way over here. Right. And this is the kind of, no matter what, I'll always be the guy to be like, all right, well, I'm going to review this beer. It's it's local. Yeah. It's brewed in Haverhill. By the way, shout out to Mo- Mosaicus, um, tap brewing company. This it's, is quite good. Thank it's you excellent. For and a beautiful it. can. And, uh. So that's working. Am I work? You know, I'm go after this. I'm going to a Boston Music Awards pre party. Right? Is that working? Kind <laughs> of. You know what I mean? Maybe I get halftime for all this stuff. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's really that's that's the uh, that's the job. I will say, um, as for the mission, the role yeah. of the yeah. alt media, I, I, I started. I said half of it before, which is to fill the voids. So, so alternative media kind of historically been like to do the stories um, that aren't being told that nobody's doing, right? And the other one is to do the stories that are being told, but they're being told wrong. Mm-hmm. And uh, the example I always give of that is like the Boston Globe loves to write about the, the toll gantries. Um, they actually wrote, like basically there was an editorial like, hurry up and finish the toll gantries. Like, Wait, what is a toll gantry? Oh, sorry. Uh, a toll, <laughs> like uh, when you're, so it used to be like you stop for tolls. Yes. Now there are these massive surveillance things, okay? Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it might but it should boggle the mind that the newspaper of record thought it, these are like a nest, just an automatically a good thing and we can get to our vacations and like western mass and new hampshire faster right. yeah we looked into these things it was i don't want to get into it so it's, it's a whole yeah. show it's a okay. horror and and i do understand the convenience mm-hmm. level but there was like because there's no public outrage anyway yeah. chicken or the egg right but so that's an example of a story that's being covered but being covered the wrong way that we mm-hmm. cover so that's um and as far as that though so the the, that's why the role of the alternative media really grows. So a lot, what a lot of people get wrong, and I'll hear this kind of, not to my face, because people don't want to get an argument with me about it, but you'll hear this kind of generic criticism. It's usually from someone who like worked at the Village Voice and fucking, there's your curse, yeah, uh, like 19, 1985, right? Like yeah. in, the, in the heyday or maybe even the 70s, and you'll get this thing like, like and they'll write this in the, in the eulogies of the alt-weeklies, like, 
you know, it was so necessary back then, but it's not anymore. And what mm. they're getting wrong, I understand why they would make that mistake. They're making that mistake because they're thinking, well, we wrote about weed and sex and that shit, and now you can get sex on in USA Today, and you can get weed in the Boston Globe. Right. Okay. Yeah. But maybe that would be a good case for an alternative outlet that's not doing its job. But an alternative outlet that does its job, like I believe The Dig does, and we certainly try to, is that we go to what's not being covered. And yeah, it's not always the sexy stuff like it used to be. Sometimes now, it's the school committee. Mm-hmm. But it's still alternative, and it's still acknowledged by the communities that aren't getting the coverage they want. Right. So when we write about a place like Lawrence, or a place like um, even Chelsea, well, Chelsea's got a decent newspaper, but like places that aren't immediately downtown, mm-hmm. or Somerville, which barely is a newspaper, despite being a city of like 90,000 people. Yeah, okay, that's crazy. It's. I mean, they have a newspaper. I don't want to... They have two crazy, ta- crazy time newspapers. Mm-hmm. Then they have the Somerville Journal, and there's no reporter even in the city. Not to disparage yeah. the work that they do, but the place deserves more attention. Right. My point is that's alternative journalism. Just covering mm. a municipal committee there or something, that's alternative journalism 2018 in Boston. Mm. So I understand that lament that people would say, you know, what's all? what do they need it for? I mean, Vice is covering all this stuff. No. And also, Vice is not covering shit at the municipal level right okay. yeah yeah they've they're they're after other kinds of stories they were down in uh, charlottesville and and all of that so their objectives are a little bit different than what's happening in a in any community around the country yeah and that's fine i mean that's and yeah. they're that's what they do i mean that's different it's just a different thing so how did you get into all of this you know because when we first met i don't know how long ago that was now maybe 15 years ago <laughs> uh, or less uh i don't remember if you were working for the dig or not but you wrote a story or two for berkeley when we had uh, hip-hop artists on campus and um i think you were writing about other subjects than music uh, uh, somewhat at that time I but mean, you're getting it i mean that's it believe it or not you're yeah. actually you hit the nail on the head i mean that's 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 it. So I was I was writing about music, but I wrote about hip hop music. Not that other music don't get political, but right. hip hop really gets political, not just in the music, but in uh, uh, specifically in the way it was being pushed around the city. Right. So hip hop venues were, I mean, venues were telling hip hop they couldn't, uh, hip hop artists that they couldn't have shows there, and that was that's what I always cite is definitely one of the first stories that I wrote that bordered on and there was a real impact the story that we wrote we had some faxes Mm -hmm. from like the police saying they wouldn't provide details if they had played hip-hop music oh wow yeah faxes that's how old i am (laughs) what uh yeah and you can't by the way you can't at the time you couldn't have a you couldn't you couldn't open if you didn't have a police detail so that's basically saying if you play hip-hop music we won't you can't open Oh wait, what do you mean this by is, open uh, in this case? Open. These are the clubs downtown and like the oh, theater, the club in the theater open. district. Okay, sorry. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. So no, no. So I'm sorry. I'm kind of all over the place. <laughs> but basically, long story short, um, really, uh, the thing had impact. You know, there there was, um, you know, promoters were happy that this thing happened, and and doesn't mean not like there were hip hop shows all over the place right after that. But you bet your butt, promoters mm-hmm. were a little bit more. Uh, uh, you know, they're more careful and they would stand up to the city a little bit more, but really the city can't just say no black people. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what was happening. Right. And, you know, not just seeing the impact, not just that power trip, which it certainly always is, um, for better or worse, I'm just being honest. Mm-hmm. It's not why we do it. It happens, though. Oftentimes these things have nothing to... That one does. I like going yeah. to hip-hop shows, but yeah. a lot of the times I don't live in the place or whatever. I'm writing right. a story. It's a sense of justice there. Um, but just also seeing that there's there's the importance of putting this stuff down 
and this is the importance of doing the regular music reporting too. Right. But that's where it really crossed over in the news. And yeah. then a, another example I always give is, you know, when I was at the dig early on before I went to the Phoenix. I was like, I'd write about like anything. I just wanted to write about stuff, especially yeah. again. Don't feel bad for me. I didn't have any money, so mm-hmm. if I, I one time, I, seriously. I wanted like an electric toothbrush. I don't know why. Like for some reason, somebody convinced me that I need an electric your toothbrush. Your dentist, maybe your mom. No way. I, don't, I definitely wasn't <laughs> seeing a dentist at the time. And um, <laughs> my mom had given up on trying to get me to brush my teeth years before. But uh, anyway, so I was like, "Can I do an article on like toothbrushes so I can have all like these toothbrushes sent to me?" And then they're like, "Sure." But I would write about anything, and uh, you know that was like uh, the other. You know, sometimes these things would lead to other to other interests, other right. ideas. And yeah. uh, it just kept happening. You know, at the dig, I really, um, I, I really sowed my oats. I remember every, this fashion, you know, not high fashion, but, mm-hmm. you know, street fashion. And I, I wrote about, I just interviewed tons of people. I always say that I write about everything. The way people are like, I listen to everything but country and rap. That's like mm-hmm. me. I say I write about everything but sports. But the truth yeah. is I've written a lot about sports. I've interviewed a lot of athletes. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just not very personally that into like professional sports right. for say like Boston but I think it makes it easier. There's a whole bunch of stuff off my plate. Yeah. But I've written about, sure, I mean, I've interviewed uh, um, athletes and stuff. So it's not mm-hmm. like, you know, that nothing's off the table, man. So what makes for good reporting, journalism, storytelling? Like, how do you, how do, how, how do you do this and do this well? I'm like a broken record with this one. But it's really about finding those, it's, it's about... My friends used to make fun of me back when I lived in New York. They call me Article Man, like remember the old nerd Particle Man song. Oh yeah, yeah. and they'd sing like you know, the, yeah, the, the, they might be giants, and they, right. they they would play, they would sing that, they would sing like Article Man to the to because every time that because everything that anybody said, I'd be like that's an, that's got that's an article, that's yeah. an article, that's an article, right. and it wasn't always an article, but those that was my antenna, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what makes for this stuff? What makes for a paper like the Dig to click? Uh, is to as often as possible have a story that it's just something that's happening that if you read it you're like oh that's happening that that might have happened in the apartment like next mm-hmm. door to me yeah um and that's that's kind of the juice I always love this one example I always give interns this example is God I can't remember the reporter's name he's he's mostly writes for the Globe he's from out this reporter I'll think of his name before this is over he mostly writes for the Globe. But this is an, an article that he knew the Globe was going to want. He'd been walking down the street in Somerville. This is years ago now. He'd been walking down the street in Somerville, um, and his name's John Christian. And he would, and there was like a, a warehouse, and there's like all this noise coming out of it. Mm-hmm. And then like a couple like hipsters pour out. I mean, when I say hipsters, I mean like hipsters in the in like the two thousand and like seven sense, like uh-huh. all out. You know, yeah. like the the it's amazing to talk about two thousand seven, like it's retro. But they come out and they're like literally drink PBRs, the whole deal, sweat, and then handlebar mustaches. What, yeah, exactly. What's going on? Turns out the most hipster thing of all time is going on. It mm-hmm. is a, a a homemade velodrome had been built Ooh. in a warehouse in Somerville. This rings a bell. And these people and these people were like riding bikes around and drinking beers oh. and like smashing into <laughs> each other. You might probably read it. You know, I mean, this thing went viral. Yeah. And this is the kind of thing that. Some people, even some people who work in the media, small, big media, whatever, mm. would like see this, be like, oh my God, they're effing crazy, or they're just like, just whatever. What makes for an, a, 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 an outlet like the dig to really sing is for you to have, a, a, as an editor, to have enough people out there, freelancers, stringers, just friends, people, connections, the, the community, who know at least one person, just one person mm-hmm. has to know that that's a freaking article, that that has to be. <laughs> 
written about. And mm. it's not about exploiting that thing. And uh, the perfect example of that is that, you know, maybe not, uh, unfortunately, decreasingly, they're, they're, uh, there's still enough basement shows, but basement shows are a thing where, like, Everybody wants to read about basement shows, mm-hmm. but it's not good for the basement show community to really write about them. Right. There's some people who are great about this. You want to know about the underground scene, go to, you know, Hassle and Compass. Yep. Um, we still surely do some of it. Um, but my point is that it's not about exploiting these mm-hmm. subterranean fascinations. Yeah. That sound too nerdy. About it. But <laughs> uh, I didn't want to use the word underground again. I hate word repetitions. But, uh, but it's about harnessing them and just like yeah. putting it out there. It doesn't always have to be something that somebody says, I should have been there, but at least like, wow, that's nuts. And it's cool to live in this. Yeah. It's cool to live in a city where, you know, somebody's doing that, you know, where somebody's yeah. having this cool cooking competition where only ghost peppers used. While we're talking about your mission and the mission of alternative press, uh, I wonder if you could just sort of help us understand a little more the, the relationship, if any, between the nonprofit, the Boston Institute for Nonprofit Journalism, and The Dig, which I guess that's not technically a nonprofit. No, The, um, Dig's, no, the Dig's a, the, the Dig's Dig a for-profit. Dig's a business. Yeah. Uh, it's called Dig Media Group, and uh, also does a couple other things. Dig Media Group, um, it's, uh, Dig Boston started 20 years ago mm-hmm. as The Shovel magazine. Oh, right. Uh, started by Jeff Lawrence, Tak Toyoshima. Tak's actually my cousin through marriage. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, and not it wasn't back then. <laughs> so that's just a random, totally random right. thing. That's but, how uh, marriage does that sometimes. Yeah, right. Uh, so that's actually, it's almost 21 years ago now. Okay. Uh, and that was, just, it was called the Weekly Dig for after the shovel for years mm-hmm. and years and years. And the Dig had its ups and its downs and its huge years and its horrible years. And the Dig was owned by Boston Magazine. Uh, parent company called Metro Corp for a couple of years, mm-hmm. uh, like 2004, I think, to like 2006. And really, it's it's wild because it's always been the young paper, but now mm-hmm. it's like 20 years. Yeah. It's tumultuous 20 years. It's oldest uh, alternative newspaper <laughs> in, in Boston, Boston now. Right? Yeah. I know. Well, and like, you know, the banner, I guess, is not alternative. But, okay. you know, uh, but anyway, but yes, alternative in, the, in that sense of the, we write about weed and say, fuck. <laughs> the dig has had its swinging times, but we really... Uh, like I said, we started the nonprofit when I was just working at the dig. The dig would be, um, if not for a few of us who took it over, we basically got it uh, for nothing. We got an investor to pay down about uh, the debt a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and the dig is fine. The dig is like this kind yeah. of uh, bare bones operation that uh, that it was, and now we've been building it up. But we've mm-hmm. always had section editors. We right. have people in, you know. So everything I've talked about, alternative. Uh, that an alternative really needs, mm-hmm. we have like people on the ground, the best music editor, the best film yeah. editor, you know, Jake Mulligan, who I'm going to go meet after this. Mm-hmm. He actually, I love saying this about him, actually lives in a building, I'm not going to say which one, <laughs> attached to a movie theater. <laughs> I think that's like, or, you know, right next door, like literally. And he's, he's the, the film critic? He's the film yeah, critic. Yeah, that's and, helpful. You know, okay. Uh, I mean, it, these are the people yeah. that really make this thing work. And uh, how many paid staff do you have? I mean, they're they're all part time, you know. They're, so there's right. like, you know, you're, all your section editors, there's like six of them. And mm-hmm. then, but, uh, I'll, I'll, really, it's a, it's about the freelance. We're a freelance yeah, army, and that's where right. binge comes in. Last year, we cut checks to about sixty people. Mm. Um, so I'll okay. explain the relationship. So, so basically, let me back up for one second. In that, the this is nothing new. We didn't reinvent the wheel at all. Uh, a lot of publications that you, I'm sure, a lot of your listeners have even uh, read over the years, or even subscribed to, uh, The Nation, Mother Jones. Mm. They've always, and I'm I'm a dummy. I was I was always a subscriber to the Nation. I didn't realize, oh wow, this little paper things and, and the ad for the cruise is uh, the Nation cruise isn't paying for the heavy investigative journalism. Right. No, the a lot of these big publications, especially on the left and the right, 
uh, the, but on the left, the Mother Jones Nation, um, the Independent, all of them really. Mm-hmm. Uh, democracy, uh, well, Democracy Now is just a nonprofit, I think. But anyway, they they have a an LLC. They have a for profit side, mm-hmm. and then they have the the nonprofit that pays for the heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. So um, one thing I'm I'm definitely proud of, and but I, but I always say it kind of like. Like the way a Republican running for Congress always says, like, everyone told me I was dumb and I couldn't accomplish <laughs> anything. But when I said, it's true, though, when I said, why can't we have this at the local level? For no reason. People yeah. were like, because you can't almost. Or like, because, like, you're not going to, you're going to do that? You're a reporter. Like, that's crazy. It really was yeah. that. You no, mean having the, the Institute for Nonprofit Journalism? Yeah, you know, just having level. a nonprofit. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I don't get it. I'm like, I just kept saying, I don't get it. If Mother Jones has a nonprofit that right. pays for their heavy lifting, why the fuck can't we do right. it? Yeah. And I don't mean like people were like, like banished me and I made it so I couldn't. They were just like, wrote me off. Right. And I just fucking did it. Mm-hmm. And we got a, sp- a fiscal sponsorship, which allowed us to start raising money right away. And that's in 2015. Um, but I can't stress enough in everything we did. In, in, in our actions in, and in our words, we said this is not just going to be for the dig. Mm-hmm. We're not just going to start. And, and listen, a lot of places do that. That's fine. Um, the Nation Institute, which pays for the nation stuff, used to be like that. But now you'll see, even on HuffPost, this was uh, produced by the Nation Institute. Mm-hmm. We are a sharing model, right? That's what Binge is. Uh, I like to say we're like a Make-A-Wish Foundation for small, like community <laughs> journalists. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have an idea. So let's say the Dig has an idea, or El Planeta, Spanish language newspaper, has an idea. Like, what do you need to get that done? Mm-hmm. Do you need a reporter? Do you need a researcher? Do you need both? Do you need a photographer? Do you need someone to make infographics? Do you need a data person? Mm-hmm. Um, an editor. So we'll bring those resources in. Uh, it seems a little confusing, but we keep it not confusing by making sure everything's project-based. Uh, once we know what that project is, we look for a partner. Mm-hmm. We're fortunate in this past year to have uh, some several new partners for publishing besides The Dig. Uh, Worcester Magazine, we're happy to bring them in. That's the mm-hmm. weekly that's still going in Worcester. Mm-hmm. Huge, they have a you know really nice footprint out there. The Valley Advocate in Western Mass, we worked with them on several stories this year. So that's that's more of a collaborative. That just your reporters getting together and working on stories together. No, that's the same thing that Binge does for the dig. So okay. imagine Binge is just this free floating incubator. Yeah, Binge will work with, and I'm serious. Anybody out there is listening? We mm-hmm. work with anyone and everyone. We work with college programs. Work with um, community television access television stations, uh, Somerville Community Access Television, uh, Cambridge Community Television. Mm-hmm. Um, the dig does a ton with Binge because, like I said, I'm an easy gatekeeper. I'm the yeah. editor and. This is where it's founded. We share an office. This is what it is. But the more Binge can do with more people, and now that the dig's on solid footing, uh, Binge has really the uh, freedom to fly. Mm. Binge, is also, uh, Binge is doing a lot of uh, uh, also like video stuff now. Mm-hmm. Where we have a whole anti-opiate program. And a lot of that stuff we try to make, you know, we'll cut like print versions of it and stuff to, to run with our uh, print publishing partners. But a lot of that goes out through social media. Basically... The relationship is that um, you know the dig benefits a ton from binge. That's where the features are coming from, the big ones, the meaty ones, the ones that people talk about and share, uh, and that are evergreen. And mm-hmm. in our in a journalism, evergreen is like the story is good forever. We know that a lot of the stories we do for binge, and that's why it's great to have a new site, a binge site. Yeah, you just launched that. These are things that we'll see. Like uh, they may not, you know, we're not always looking for the glory in the immediate term. We love for that story to go viral right away if it can. And, and the few times when it gets that local viral mm-hmm. or, or even regional, we love that. But we know this thing's going to be here. You know, the story uh, that Haley Hamilton, one of our, our, our staff writer, someone who's been with us since the beginning, worked on about 
liquor licenses in Boston. Hmm. That is a document. That is a that is basically, and I'm telling you, as someone who's worked in several newsrooms around here, and this is what Binge tries to do a lot is answer a question that everyone just assumes something. In that case, everyone just assumed it's Boston, and there are no places to go drinking. There's no bars mm-hmm. in the black community. Mm. Well, you know what? I I got a lot of friends in those communities, and they that to them it's not like it's not like it's like this is bullshit. Yeah. Where are the answers? And we, we we arrived at a lot of answers. You know, a lot of licenses. The whole turns out that the whole South Boston waterfront was built on what were supposed to be licenses for communities that needed it. Um, not to get off track, but yeah, basically, the relationship is that binge wants to help, and the more we raise every year, we're raising more and more. The uh, binge wants to help as many outlets as possible. Uh, do the kind of reporting that's just not being done. And we're already right. talking to people uh, about some really cool new partnerships for next year. Um, I know you knew the television show mm-hmm. uh, that we did, Beyond Boston. That's the one where we work with community access television stations. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't realize uh, Massachusetts has more than 300 community access television stations, which is more than any other state in the country. Really? Yeah. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah. Oh, it's a good thing. They're under fire right now under the current FCC. You mentioned the fact that these, uh, you know, there's been this challenge in black communities for bars getting licenses or businesses getting bar licenses. Uh, you know, that's it, it, this. This has been sort of a tradition. I recently did a story about Wally's and how it's connected to Berkeley as a proving ground and things like that. And Wally's was the first nightclub for music that was licensed to uh, African Americans. What year in was the city of Boston? The, the, I think it was around 1947. Was the uh, Black Musicians uh, Union around the corner? I think. It, I mean, I. No, I think so. I'm guessing that that was probably had to do with the proximity altogether. Right? That had a lot to do with it, I think, and and also just the the pluck and drive of of Wally uh, Joseph <laughs> Walcott, yeah. who who made that made that happen. So um, and that idea of of Boston sort of lingering uh, racism issues came up in a dig article last year that um, was quite controversial and we'll see where we wind up on this one uh, we might have to cut some of this out but but um, you know uh, you have a reporter who um, a freelance writer who did a story about relating to uh, racial epithets at Fenway Park and and one of the local sports talk stations responding to it uh, and it and then there was uh, a, a local television station panel that commented on this. And uh, and I got pissed off about uh, some of the things that they said about dig about the dig, uh, or as as one of them called it, the big dig. Accidentally, um, <laughs> we've, we're mixing up the highway project with the newspaper. But anyway, what was um, where did that all leave you? Because you already have sort of a confrontational relationship with um, not just the conservative media, but also liberal media and the mainstream media like the Boston Globe, the New York Times, and well, I don't know, I don't know about your relationship with all these other newspapers, but but anyway, there did seem to be some back and forth at that time. So here you've described the challenges of doing what you're doing, and then you sort of get this undeserved beatdown from uh, some folks. Um, how do you like? What is that like? I mean, does that sort of leave you at the end of the day, sort of in despair? It didn't seem that way to me the way you responded. But what, what was that like from your perspective? It, 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 I'm not going to lie, man. So I'll just put it in concrete terms. So you're talking about a story by Brittany de la Cretaz, who's first of all one of the one of the best writers around. the The article was called had a couple titles. Uh, one, basically, Boston, we have a problem. Also, the Yawkey way, and it was about racism in Red Sox Nation. 
a tough topic to tackle. Uh, Brittany is a very um, accomplished reporter and uh, uh, author soon. She has a book deal right now. And um, right. Brittany basically uh, had said, I always say to our reporters, whether they're brand new or like Brittany, very experienced, um, write something for us that pe- other people d- won't let you write about. What's mm-hmm. you know, if, it, if the idea is not good, we're not going to do it. But mm-hmm. with this, in this case, Brittany wanted to tackle uh, as much of this as possible. Okay, now I'm not going to lie. Uh, this the story came out great. Uh, I, I was we were proud of it. It was um, it covered a lot of uh, corners of this of this difficult topic. I was in Washington D.C. I think um, at a conference with a lot of alternative journalism peers, and it was a, it was a fun weekend. And you know, really had lots to look forward to. We're actually helping a lot of other cities start nonprofits. And uh, it was Friday night, and that's the same time it was right now. Mm-hmm. And Beat the Press, which is Emily Rooney's show, comes on. And, uh, you know, this is a group of people that I, I know mo- most of them. I even know Emily Rooney. You know, when I was, the, she was friends with the owner of the Phoenix. I've been at social events with her and certainly, you know, respect everything she's accomplished. She's a very accomplished uh, journalist in her own right and uh, uh, had a lot of firsts, actually, you know. Now, <sighs> I don't want to be selfish because really what's wrong is what she said about uh, about um, about Britney's piece. Yeah. And uh, she really took issue with it, basically called her hack. And um, and also some um, WEEI hosts had come after my reporter in uh, truly unsavory, uh, uh, in unacceptable fashion. On social media or on the air? On the air. Yeah. And, and Emily Rooney defended them. And as somebody who, like I said... Not like that. It all needs to be kumbaya, but it was really kind of surprising. Emily Rooney's definitely never uh, uh, doesn't care about political correctness, whatever, that, and uh, that kind of thing. But this was really shocking to mm-hmm. me. But personally, it was really hurtful. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just like you know, like I don't belong in the room, you know. And uh, so I responded to her, and. Uh, but overall, I got to say, you know, Emily Rooney's been around for a long time, but you know, this is the tw- this week is the 20th anniversary of that show Beat the Press. Hmm. And I saw Emily Rooney's thing about it, it was you know, sort of some decent. She's mostly concerned about mostly wrote about how she owns the trademark, you know. Shows how how different where our heads are. The trademark of Beat the Press. Yeah, there's okay. no let me just say there's no trademark for binge, okay? <laughs> uh, somebody else wants to steal it, they can deal with the wrath on social media. But my point is that you know, um, the dig's been around for 20 years now, too. So, the, you know, may not be as, uh, have been uh, kicking as long as Emily Rooney's been in the media, but, you know, made me realize, like, uh, just because I, I may not always, like, dress up like these people or whatever, I think the a lot of the readers do know where the, the maturity line is here. And Emily Rooney didn't win that one, and mm-hmm. I'll finish with this. Brittany, Brittany, for that story, I don't know if you know this, was recognized um, by Best American Sports Writing. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, just, just last month. So you, you mean you're referring to the collection that they put out every year? Is it going to be in the next collection? It's not the whole thing. It's, like, it's one of the honorable mentions. Wow, it's like great. They, but it's, there's not a lot. There's like 20 yeah. honorable mentions after. And and, and I got to say, we did. it was not submitted. This is like totally out of nowhere. Yeah, it's great. So, I, I you know, it, it, it was like, uh, it came, a, I think, like more than a year after the story and the whole dust yeah. up. But uh, it was talk about sweet, mm. you know, a, a, a sweet compensation yeah. after all that crap. But you know what? Uh, to best with Emily, to Emily Rooney and uh, to all the uh, uh, cucks who sit around <laughs> her all day long. I'm going to 
co-opt that one from the right because that's exactly what they are. Maybe uh, maybe they've all been reading Dig Boston uh, every week ever since. Who knows? They're asked they read Dig Boston every week. <laughs> I just want to ask you sort of a, a wrap-up question as we, you know, we're in the middle of the Trump presidency and these are stressful times for everybody. Um what what do you see uh, ahead? Like, you know, is, is the future as bleak as it seems sometimes? Are you hopeful about the political environment nationally, internationally, locally? You know, what's, you know, how are you looking at the future? I'm just going to do a total cop out because I, I got to be honest, like, really, I really do think a lot locally. I listen, I watch and read and listen to national news, but I, I there's an, I'm a fucking white guy, man. And I'm going to, I'm kind of going to, hopefully I'll be all right. Mm-hmm. And shit, but like you know, so like what I there's a part of me that always wants to say like, f- you know, fuck Trump, it'll be over and this and that. But I understand there's a lot of people really getting hurt. Yeah, you know, I mean, this whole like even like locally, forget we don't even did we need Trump to put all our trans friends at risk? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna cry over that. You know, like so for real. Like when I talk to like even trans parents of like transgender children, what they went through with that ballot measure, there's a lot of hurt going on, right? Yeah. Um, so I mean, people just have to be as resilient as they can, I guess, you know, but. Uh, so it's also, I, I don't want to sound ignorant or like, I don't care about all the people who would really be killed and like being told you can't vote all these horrible yeah. things at the national level. Um, uh, I, 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 but my cop out answer is that I just believe that it's a real big, um, push and pull. Yeah. History is, I'm a big reader. Mm-hmm. History is a big push and pull. And I just feel like the more, whether it's pushing or pulling, whatever you're doing, yeah, right the likes of, you know, whether, you know, the, the teachers of the world, the, yeah. the educators, the, the journalists, the the advocates, this, that, that's, you know, we're just out there. And it always is, um, it's always seems a lot of the time, like, uh, you know, the money's maybe not on the right, on the right side or the, uh, momentum's not, but then there's like big things happen, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, I, I gotta say the, um, Florida, uh, felons getting the, uh, right to vote in Florida. Huge. Right. Yeah. That is big. I yeah. have like a lot of people in my family and friends who are personally impacted by this. And, uh, there are victories. So that's yep. how I just got to look at it. And, you know, yep. I don't know who's keeping the ultimate tally. Right. Um, but I will say that uh, this is this is important. Trump has allowed for Democrats in particular to get away with everything. Mm. Marty Walsh did not run against Tito Jackson in Boston. He ran against Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. He said Donald Trump. I don't know. I'm making this statistic. I'm making this number. I mean, he said, I'm pretty sure he said Donald Trump's name more than he did Tito's the whole election. Yeah. Um, you know, we've seen this across the board. Charlie, even in the reverse cockamamie way, Charlie Baker did the same thing. He ran as I'm not Donald Trump without mm-hmm. even like saying it. Okay. Yeah. So this is like the world we live in. We can't, whether it's fucking Trump or Obama or anyone, we can't f- fucking frame all of our politics around like one person who yeah. is in the White House. Yeah. And it's just something I've realized more and more and more, especially in the Trump administration. We just, it's just like if you're not Trump, it, like comparative this monster. And I'm from, again, I'll bring it back to where I started. I'm yeah. from New York. Mm-hmm. This guy's like the biggest joke in the world. <laughs> and my, uh, I think it was like my 30th birthday present. My uncle gave me every spy magazine. Mm-hmm. I was very, I was well prepared for this. I would have probably done well as a national reporter in this. But <laughs> no, really, as a New Yorker, knows yeah. people. I mean, Anthony Scaramucci. This guy could be mm-hmm. my cousin. I could, yeah. I talk the language. I could have totally mm-hmm. conned him into giving me an interview. <laughs> um, I just don't care about that shit because I just. I feel like when that when all that's done, or even when it's not done, when it's keep still going, whether it's Trump or somebody else, mm. all the stuff that's whether it's being covered or not being covered around here is still happening.
Learn more about the work of Chris Ferrone and his staff at digboston.com and bingeonline.org. That's B-I-N-J-O-N-L-I-N-E dot O-R-G. This episode was edited and mixed by Isaac Kotecki. Matt Jensen composed and recorded the theme music. Subscribe to The Media Narrative at themedianarrative.com. I'm Rob Hoschel. Thanks for listening. Thank you.